Good morning, friends, and welcome home to be with your church families where you belong. This morning, we are starting a new sermon series that we've titled, No One Can. No One Can. It's a bit of a strange title, is it not? But it really comes from a number of statements that Jesus makes throughout his ministry. All throughout his teaching, you'll find these moments where he makes an exclusive statement that begins with those three words, no one can. So we'll say, no one can enter, no one can see, no one can come unto me, no one can take. And in this series, each week, we're going to take one of those exclusive statements from Jesus and take a closer look at it. And the first statement that we're looking at in this series is the, is the statement, no one can see the kingdom. It's also phrased as no one can enter the kingdom. And it comes to us in a conversation between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. And it introduces Nicodemus to us in verse 1 and tells us that he is a Pharisee and he's a ruler of the Jews. So he was a member of what was known as an authoritative body called the Sanhedrin. And so he was a man that had reached the highest level of education, the highest level of status, the highest level of privilege and influence that one could possibly reach in Israelite culture. This is an incredibly respected man, well-educated, highly privileged, but he's also completely unaware because he has no idea what he's walking into. He's about to have his life turned upside down. And in the end, this conversation will result in him giving all of that up and leaving that life behind. Have you ever had a moment where you realized that what you thought was true actually wasn't? Have you ever experienced a moment where you realized that you didn't really know what you thought you knew? I know I certainly have. And I know how disruptive those moments can be. I know how much those moments can change life forever. So for instance, I can vividly remember how betrayed and lost I felt when a friend finally informed me that professional wrestling was fake. I was like 25 or something. But either way, I remember thinking, how could it possibly be fake. How can these things be? His name is Ultimate Warrior. This is good versus evil, man. How can these things be? But alas, my Saturday mornings were changed forever. And then I remember entering into college, going into the chemical engineering program. Why? I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to go into the space program. But when I got to college, I very quickly realized the humbling reality that I am not nearly as smart as I thought I was. I didn't stand a chance. I was definitely not smart enough to go up against all of the 4.0 GPAs and all of the multiple PhDs that apply for the program. My C in organic chemistry was a wake-up call, and I did not cut the mustard. And so my life changed because then I ended up moving into the mechanical engineering program, greener pastures. 
But little did I know that when I was filling out the paperwork to switch majors that I was also walking into another moment where life would change forever, where what I thought I knew, I didn't really know. Because whenever I switched majors in this new major, I met some Christian friends. And we'd built a great friendship over the course of a few months. And I distinctly remember a conversation late one night, as college students are prone to have, solving the world's problems at 2 a.m. We had a conversation about theology and salvation. And they were talking about the faith in a way that I, I had never heard. And so we got into a little argument because I felt a little threatened. And so we started to get a little more heated. And then David Boyd read Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 to me. And I didn't have an answer for it. I was speechless. I was raised in church. I thought I knew it all. I was a complete and utter hothead. And yet here I was rendered speechless. I felt ashamed. I felt embarrassed. I felt exposed. And so I got angry. And I stood up, I walked to the door, and I turned around and I yelled, You know what, Dave? I guess I'd just like to think that I actually took part in my own salvation, and I'm not just some mindless robot. And oh yeah, you probably still think professional wrestling is real, don't you? Take that. Boom. Walked out. Angry. I didn't actually say that last part, but you get the picture. And I slammed the door, and I left. And yet, I spent the next two months in an absolute spiritual turmoil. Because everything that I thought I knew, I realized I didn't. That verse changed everything for me. And I remember thinking, in that moment, I felt that despair and that turmoil. Why? Because I thought I'd lost my faith. But actually, when I look back on that now, I, I chuckle, I laugh. Because I realize now that that was when my faith began was in that moment where what I thought I knew, I really didn't. And I realized this week as I was thinking about all of that, that I could actually tell the story of my life through the lens of these kinds of moments, where what I thought I knew, I really didn't, and all the ways that those moments have shaped the course of my life. This passage is that very moment for Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus cautiously because he comes by night. He comes under the cover of darkness in secret, perhaps at 2 a.m., for a conversation about faith. And Nicodemus is curious. He comes looking for Jesus. He wants to interact with him. And yet, to be seen with Jesus like this would have been very dangerous for him because of his position. Now, as we start with this story, we recognize that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And because of that, we easily default to thinking that he's the bad guy, right? So go get him, Jesus. But that's not the case here. In order to get the most out of this passage and understand it, we need to see Nicodemus with the eyes of a friend. We need to look upon Nicodemus with compassion. You need to see Nicodemus in no way differently than you see yourself. Because we need to see this moment as the beginning of his journey of faith. 
which makes our question very simple in this passage. What does that journey of faith look like? What does your journey of faith look like? Well, Nicodemus comes by night and he strolls into this life-changing moment with confidence. Not arrogance, but he's confident that he knows what he is seeing in the ministry of Jesus. He says, Rabbi, we've seen what you've done. And we know that you are from God because nobody can do the things that you do unless God is with him. So he comes in thinking he knows who Jesus is. But Jesus didn't play in that game. He says in verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. Now that's quite the response. Hey, Jesus, we know that you are from God. We are just hitting the like button on your ministry. We affirm it. Actually, Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Now, when Jesus uses that word again, that word's a double entendre, which means it just means two things at once. That word can either mean again or from above. And certainly both are true in this instance, which is part of what makes Jesus' answer so confusing. And Nicodemus understands Jesus' statement in the more literal, narrow way. You can hear it in his question. Because he follows it up by saying, well, how can a man enter back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus, what are you talking about? That's crazy talk. But then Jesus goes a little bit further. and He says, Nicodemus, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So when he says this statement, he's using this language of water and spirit that come from something that Nicodemus would have known well. It comes from Ezekiel 36. And in that passage, God gives Ezekiel a vision of this valley of dry bones, these lifeless skeletons that represent the spiritual condition of God's people. And God tells Ezekiel that one day, he is going to come to his people with a water that brings cleansing and renewal. And he will breathe upon his people, and they will come to life. So these lifeless bones will become living people. He's giving Ezekiel a glimpse of his kingdom and how the Spirit will be that very breath of God that recreates, that reanimates, that regenerates his people. And so Jesus is saying, unless the Spirit comes and makes you alive, Nicodemus then you can't even see the kingdom of God. Because skeletons don't have eyes. You must be reborn in spirit by the spirit of God. But oh yeah, there's one more thing. Jesus says the spirit is like the wind. This life-giving power blows wherever it wishes. You can see its effects, but you don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. You can't see it, and you most certainly cannot control it. So if you want to be a part of this kingdom of God, then you have to realize that it's nothing that you can do. It's something that's done to you. Now, in all of saying that, what has Jesus just done? 
Because Jesus is doing more than giving Nicodemus a little theology lesson here. Because this had massive implications for Nicodemus to the point where everything that Jesus just said just upended everything that Nicodemus thought was true. How so? Well, one, remember Nicodemus is a Pharisee, so, that he, so he believed that as an Israelite, he was a child of Abraham. He was born into the family of God, which means that Nicodemus thought he was a member of the kingdom of God already. But Jesus says, no, being a part of this kingdom has nothing to do with the family that you were born into. This kingdom is not of the flesh. And Nicodemus thought that he was already a part of the kingdom, but he also thought that as long as he did the works of the law, then he could gain God's favor. And as a Pharisee, he prided himself on his obedience to the law. Because through that obedience, he knew that he had secured the love and the favor of God. But Jesus says, no. This kingdom isn't about the family you were born into. But it also isn't about anything that you've done or any of your good works. Entrance into this kingdom can only happen when the Spirit comes to you and makes you alive. It has nothing to do with what you've done or who you are or what your last name is. In only a couple of sentences, Jesus has completely reshifted entrance into this kingdom from being something that Nicodemus could accomplish to being something that only God can accomplish. And all he did was use the very scriptures that Nicodemus thought he had already mastered. Now, it's easy to preach this passage, and then you just stop right there. We just end right there, and we end it as though this is simply a doctrinal lesson on how salvation operates. And we say, see, that's the biblical case for why salvation begins and only begins with God. And that's true. We believe that. But there's so much more going on here. Because what do you do with that? What do you do with that truth that Jesus just dropped on Nicodemus' head? The better way of understanding this passage is trying to understand what Jesus is doing to Nicodemus. Because can you see how he just assaulted everything that Nicodemus thought he knew about life? Jesus has pulled the legs out from under everything that Nicodemus has built his life on. And so how silly do you think that Nicodemus would just walk away saying, Oh, yes, now that I understand that one must be born again, therefore I am born again. Hardly. This doesn't happen simply because somebody got the right information. Because how can Nicodemus trust in the words of Jesus even slightly and then go back to doing the same things? teaching what he did before. How can he trust in the words of Jesus and go back to life as he knew it? He can't. Because what he thought was true wasn't true at all. And that changed everything. And it's here that we arrive at a, an important, inescapable reality of Jesus' teaching. If it doesn't challenge or confront or require something to change in your life, then you haven't really understood or really believed in his teaching in the first place. 
Because how do you think Nicodemus would have left this conversation? Don't you think that if he trusted in the words of Jesus, then at some level he would have thought, then how can I enter into the kingdom of God if there's nothing I can do? How can I enter into this kingdom? How can what you're saying be true of me? And that's exactly what you hear in his next question when he says, how can these things be? How can these things be? How is it even possible then to enter into this kingdom? How can I know? And it's in that question, we see a different Nicodemus than the one that showed up. This confident Nicodemus, now we have seen, brought to a place of complete confusion. Because that's exactly where Jesus wants him to be. He doesn't want Nicodemus just to walk away with a set of facts. He's doing something far more than that. I said earlier that we need to see this as the beginning of a journey of faith for Nicodemus. And the way that Jesus deals with Nicodemus helps us understand something important. Helps us understand what your journey of faith looks like. Because if we step back and look at what Jesus has done, then we begin to see that there's this movement where Jesus leads Nicodemus from a place of confusion or from confidence to confusion. He completely disorients him. He completely deconstructs everything that he thought was true. And he brings Nicodemus to a place where he has more questions now than when he showed up in the first place. Why? Because that's where Jesus wants him. That's exactly how he wants Nicodemus to respond. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? How then can I even have any hope of participating in this kingdom? How can this new life come to me when there's nothing that I can do to make it happen? Well, the reality is, is that it is happening right in front of him. This process of the Spirit reawakening him is happening in this moment. He is being reborn through this movement in his heart from confidence to confusion, where the truth has now unlocked all of these implications and all of this new meaning where he is now left to wonder and to search for more. And out of that confusion, he does what? He brings his questions to Jesus. And that's exactly where Jesus wants Nicodemus. And that's exactly where he wants you. It's in this story that we see a glimpse of the blueprint for the journey of faith. We see how being born, reborn of water and spirit occurs through this process of being moved from confidence to confusion. Because part of being reborn is losing confidence in what you think you know. Part of being reborn is losing confidence in what you have done. Part of being reborn is losing confidence in what you think you bring to the table. And that's hard. Because when we begin to lose confidence in those things, we become confused, we become disoriented, and it makes us reevaluate life. And we begin to search. And out of that search, we begin to ask questions to try to understand how the promises of Jesus 
can be true for us? How can these things be? So how can you know that this wind of the Spirit that you can't see, that you can't control, and you can't coerce, is blowing upon your life? It's when Jesus brings you to that place of confusion and you are left with questions. And you may come from a tradition or a past that told you you weren't allowed to have questions. It's one of the most common things I hear in ministry. Because you were told that questions about God and his work weren't allowed. Those are off limits. You were made to believe that real faith doesn't have questions. Real faith means that you don't struggle with doubt. Real faith means that you're supposed to lay those questions aside and quote-unquote just believe. And what's the subtext of all of that? The subtext is that if you do have questions, then you don't really have faith. And my friends, if that is you, then I want you to hear me as clearly as you've ever heard me say anything. That is patently, completely, 100%, absolutely unbiblical. Your questions and your confusion are not a lack of faith. They are the very evidence of it. And you might think to yourself, yeah, what about like Romans 9, though? Where it says, something, where it says you know, the clay is not supposed to say to the potter, why did you create me? The context of that passage is about declaring God in the wrong and saying, how dare you? I know better than you. But that's not what's happening in this passage. Nicodemus isn't doing that. He's been brought to a point of complete vexation where he gives voice to his confusion in his questions. Why? Because he wants to understand He wants to come to know. He wants to know more. How can these things be? And it was Jesus that brought him to this place. To eliminate questions from the life of faith is to completely ignore the biblical story. All throughout the Bible, you see question after question. Before God, the disciples... Old Testament heroes, all of them, they had questions because every serious disciple has questions. Why? Because God moves every disciple from a place of confidence to confusion. And in that confusion, they cry out to God in those questions. It's faith-seeking understanding when things don't make sense and following this God is hard. Moses, how am I supposed to lead these people? I stutter. David, how long will you hide your face from me? Jeremiah, how long will you let this happen to your people? John the Baptist, are you really who you say you are? Mary and Martha, where were you? Why weren't you here? Paul, why won't you remove this thorn from my flesh? Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To eliminate questions is to have no concern for the biblical story. And yet it's in these questions that we see that they are precious and beautiful. Because these are the questions of faith. These are the questions that seek 
understanding and seek more of God and ask God, how can your promises for me be true right here, right now? And far too often we think of the life of faith simply as a moment of decision and then after that we just believe in a set of facts. And we can so easily forget that the life of faith is a constant rhythm of losing confidence in ourselves and in our own ability and what we think we know and we understand. And that's not a one-time thing. That's something that takes place over and over and over again throughout the life of faith. Where Jesus is speaking to you and the Spirit blows upon your face by moving you from this place of confidence to confusion. And in that place of confusion, you have questions. Because you thought you understood marriage, and then you got married. You thought you understood the cost of love until love cost too much. You thought you understood friendship and forgiveness until you were betrayed. You thought you understood poverty until you went to the Kali God. You thought you understood parenting until you had no clue how to relate to your child. You were confident that hard work would open doors of opportunity to you until you got passed up for promotion. You were confident that you would grow old until you got that diagnosis. You were confident that you understood the way the world worked until March of 2020. And in that place of confusion, you have questions. God, why did this happen? Why did you allow this? Why didn't you do anything? Why did you take them from me? Why don't you change this? Why are you silent? What are you doing in me through all of this? Those are the questions of faith. And those questions reject simple answers. Did you know who doesn't ask God questions? Atheists. And if our discipleship track has something in common with that, then we need a new one. We need one that allows us to take those questions to God because they are precious. And it's in that invitation to bring your questions to God that we recognize that he's not just at work at one moment in our life. He is at work in every situation in your life. Constantly moving you from that place of confidence to confusion. I had a professor in seminary named Dan McCartney. He taught Mark and I the New Testament. And he tells a story about one of his students that years ago came to his office. This student was getting ready to graduate. And he stopped by Dr. McCartney's office and he said, Dr. McCartney, I just, I just wanted to thank you. I've enjoyed your class so much. You've been so influential to me. I just thank you for uh, all that you've done. Thank you. And Dr. McCartney says, great. Well, why don't you come in and sit down? So he sits down, and Dr. McCartney says, well, tell me about your seminary experience. How are you leaving seminary? How do you feel about the last four or five years? And the student says, well, actually, I'm really discouraged, and I'm frustrated. Dr. McCartney says, why? And he says, well, I thought when I came to seminary that I would be leaving with a lot more answers than I am. I came looking for answers, and yet I guess I'm frustrated because as I'm leaving, I realize that I have more questions now than I did when I started. And Dr. McCartney goes, that's fantastic. <laughs> and the student's like, what are you talking about? And Dr. McCartney says, son, seminary was never about teaching you all the right answers. 
Seminary was about teaching you how to ask the right questions. Because if you have all the right answers, then you have nothing left to learn. And if you have nothing left to learn, then you aren't ready to be a disciple. My friends, do not fear your questions. Because it's in those questions that Jesus is at work within you. Because he's saving you from placing confidence in all the wrong things and in that you are being reborn and remade into something new. You don't have to be afraid because Jesus will not leave you in your confusion. Because he didn't leave Nicodemus in his. He told him one more thing. Nicodemus asked, how can these things be? Jesus tells him, he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, In the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Just like when that plague of venomous snakes came upon Israel in the wilderness and Moses lifted up the serpent on the pole, and all the people had to do was look to that serpent and they would live. So too you, Nicodemus, you must look for me. You must look for me lifted up on the cross. Watch me. Look to me and you will find the life that you seek because only in me will you find the answers that you desire. And it's in the statement that Jesus teaches one more thing to us in this journey of faith is that he moves us in the same way he did Nicodemus from confidence to confusion to Christ. And you have the opportunity to be like Nicodemus. Because he continued to look to Jesus in his questions. Because a few chapters later in John 7, he stood up before the Pharisees. He actually advocated for Jesus. And he said, no, we can't falsely try him. Let's give him a chance to come and to speak and to make his case. He's a little bit braver as he moves into the daylight, as faith is breaking into his heart. And then in John 20, Nicodemus comes, not by night, but he comes in the middle of the day for all to see. Why? Because he comes to take the dead body of Jesus down from the cross. He saw the Son of Man lifted high. And he brings spices and myrrh. And he personally tends to the burial of his God. What happened in his heart in that moment? What realizations did he have? What was that change like? What did it feel like? I don't know. That was his journey. But I know this. He lost his job. He lost his status. He lost his entire life by doing that in the broad daylight. By identifying with the disgrace of Christ rather than the privilege of this world. And evidently that was okay. Because he found life itself. What are your questions this morning? And where are you taking them? What might you realize and come to know if you choose to seek Jesus no matter what in your confusion and in your questions? What will you realize and come to know? Well, I don't know. That's your journey. But you have to look to him and don't stop. 
You have to set your face to the one who is lifted high. You have to pray. You have to read his promises. You have to wrestle. You have to talk to him. You have to watch him. You have to ask him. You have to follow him. And it's only there where you find life. And so have you ever had a moment where you realize that everything you thought was true actually wasn't? I certainly hope so. Because that's the Spirit of God blowing across your face. That's Jesus drawing you unto himself and inviting you to be reborn and find life. And who could possibly take that away from you? No one can. Let's pray.